Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 6 of Logicast, the AWS News podcast brought to you by Logicata. I'm Carl Robinson, CEO and co-founder of Logicata, and I'm joined today, uh, as always, by my colleague, lead cloud engineer, John Goodall. How are you doing today, John? Uh, can't complain. I'm the proud owner of a lava lamp now, so that's that's sat over there, and that's giving me great enjoyment. Ah, I once invented uh, a lager lamp. I discovered <laughs> that if you drop uh, cherry tomatoes into lager they kind of rise to the top and then sink down to the bottom again. And they just keep doing it. And if you put a candle behind, it looks fantastic. Um, but uh, yeah, I wasn't, sh- I wasn't thinking I was going to go there this morning um, on the podcast, but uh, there we are. I don't think that's marketable. I, I don't think you could sell that. No, but it's something you can try, you know, next time you're at a buffet no. in a pub and there's uh, no. tomatoes available. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we're not here to talk about lager lamps or lava lamps. We're joined uh, this morning by guest uh, fellow AWS community builder, Martin Kilbride. Martin, you've been on the podcast before. You obviously enjoyed it. So welcome back. How are you doing today, Martin? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. I um, Yeah. I think you should start selling these lager lamps now. Lager lamps, yeah. I'm going to have to revisit the, revisit the lager lamp. And, uh, like, is the bit going to get in the tomato, or is it a buoyancy thing, or is it a surface tension? Like... Ugh. Well, the kind of the bubbles kind of build up around the uh, the gas, the CO two, I guess, whatever the gas is in the lager, builds up around the uh, the the tomato and kind of carries it to the top, and then they just seem to fall away and it sinks to the bottom again, and the process starts all over again. And yeah, it's quite it's quite fascinating. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're we're not here to talk about lager lamps or lava lamps. Uh, but maybe John, I did, I did I didn't give you an opportunity to talk about your lava lamp. Do you want to tell us about your lava lamp, or have I just ruined that for you completely? No, no, you're fine, you're fine. It's just sitting there warming up because it's brand new, so it's going to take a while. Schlepped it up to the Science Museum with my eldest yesterday, um, and I wanted one as a kid and was never. T- I was told I could never have one. So the great thing about being an adult is I have adult money and I can buy what I like now. Are you going to let your kids have one? God, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, ever, you ever been a proud owner of a lava lamp, Martin? Yeah, I, I did get one when I was, I think I was a teenager, but... They're dangerous though, because this, you know, they get so warm. Like, they do not... get very hot. Yeah, uh, that's the advantage of the lager lamp; it, it stays nice <laughs> and cold. So. <laughs> Just got to be careful you don't knock it over. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, we we digress into the world of lamps. Uh, but actually, if you're a regular, I need the lighting. Podcast, I need the lighting. <laughs> we do lighting is very important, especially for a podcaster, as we as we know. Um, but uh, let's get, let's get back on track. So, uh, as you know, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, uh, every week I collate a list of AWS news, which I share via my AWS news round. Up newsletter and john and i pick a subset of the articles from the newsletter that we'd like to talk about with our guests on the podcast so we've got a subset of articles this week and the first one is from our friends over at InfoQ, and it's about a new feature called aws console to code generating code for console actions now this sounds great for somebody like me because uh, mm-hmm. know, I'm a fairly I'm a fairly light user of AWS. I'm more of a console jockey than I am a uh, script kiddie. Um, so uh, the fact that I can now record my console actions um, and turn that into infrastructure as code sounds quite interesting. But but is it? Yes. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what this reminded me of. And I may have said this on the pod or not, but in a past life, for my sins, I was a tester. This is going to show my age now. In my university degree, I took a year out to go and work for Debenhams. This is, you know, 
I was I was very young and the company doesn't exist anymore, but there we go. And one of the things I did when I was there was automation and you know, recording automation scripts using QTP and Selenium and this, that, and the other. And that was all great fun. And it reminded me quite a lot of that. With that, what you'd do is you'd click the record button and you'd go off and run the test that you wanted to run. And it would say, yeah, okay, I've, I've captured all of those actions. You've clicked up here and you've clicked over there and and so on and so on. And then that would be the basis of your test. And you'd go and enhance it. So you could say, okay, when I'm on this page, validate that this string appears, this image is there, this is in the right place, that kind of thing. And this reminded me an awful lot of that. It's it's just on always rather than the QTP thing where you turn it on. This is just on and running in the console. And it will come out with a whole bunch of, we think you've done this. We think you've done that. We think you've done the third thing. Is that correct? Yes, no. Go and pick the thing that you're interested in. And it tells you, okay, so you did this. You made an EC2 and you gave it some EBS and some network and so on and so on. And here's a script that tells you how to do it. Here's infrastructure code that shows you how to do it. And you can go and embellish it from there so that you can say, well, yes, I did do this, but I want to be able to parameterize it so that I don't have to give it an elastic IP, for instance. And you can kind of play with it from there. So, yeah, it's cool. It's really cool if you're, like you say, a console jockey and you're not used to just going from scripts and going from IAC as a starting point. It's also quite handy... And it's, it's, I don't know if it's doing this directly or not, but it's handy in the, in the world where you can take existing infrastructure, play with it, and then start to get IAC from it. So I don't know if it's this or if it's another tool that I've seen recently. It might be another thing. I'll probably talk about it next week, but it's a, here's a load of things. Give me IAC. Brilliant. More of that because we certainly come across a lot of customer deployments where it's been built by hand because it's been built by an app dev who didn't know Terraform or CloudFormation or whatever. So the ability to take that way of working and codify it is brilliant. Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts on this one, Martin? It's the same. I mean, the article is interesting because the last point on it was saying it's only in EC2 at the moment. And mm. one of the quotes was, I created an EC2 instance with all default settings and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's hard to say how good, but I think the premise is, is, is great. I mean, ClickOps, as much as like we shouldn't be doing it, everyone is doing it, um, especially um, we've had clients. We've, they've come to us and said, we've got this thing set up. It's been set up over years by loads of random people. And like it's in a single AWS account, for example. And we have to, okay, we want to turn that into a correct AWS strategy. You've got to go in and then at that point, it's already built. So a tool like this, I guess it only starts working from when it was released. Um, and I think then that goes into, and that's where the overlap happens with the other stuff that you just mentioned, John, which is more about yeah. I forget the name through of your it, account. Saw, yeah. yeah so, well, they've released two, I think. There was like a CDK one cdk yeah. migrate and there's some sort of thing built into cloud formation but it's sort of like hunting for your account looking for resources and then turning them into iac where this is watching what you're doing and then using gen ai to turn that into iac so i'm not quite sure why you would need both in that instance because if you've already created it you could use the other tool so it could just be a two-piece of Amazon thing where they've both done the same thing or it could be I'm missing exactly. <laughs> um, Feels like a double development attack. 
pencil yeah. move. It feels like a, you've already done it, so let's hoover that up from this angle. And we know that you don't know how to do it, so let's hoover that up from that angle. And that way, no matter whether you're doing whether you're trying to convert existing stuff or whether you're building new, but badly, badly, you can come in from the other angle and you get some IAC that you can then deploy to production, for instance. Mm. Although I wouldn't say any of it was production ready right now because they're all in preview. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. the CDK migrate, I think, generates really raw CDK. Um, like, so it's, it's, no, it's not using the level two constructs and stuff. So I guess it's the same with the rest. It's just... It's a great place to start, though. Hmm. Um, I suppose it could be quicker doing it this way because you've not got any process to run after you've created the the resources. Uh, whereas with the other approach, it's kind of maybe for new, for new stuff. For new stuff, it's, there's there's no process to run after you've created the resources in the console. I mean, here's the rub: I wouldn't trust the tool either of them to run you know their outputs directly i wouldn't trust them in the same way that with an automation test you don't go great that's my test i've just recorded it you go you look at the code you embellish it you put your checks in place and so on and so on so i wouldn't trust it out of the box but maybe it's a, a way of of new people getting there faster I think it's just in general is trying to get what's in an account as well. If somebody says, here's an AWS account and you log in, it's actually quite hard to figure out what's in there. Um, you can look at billing, you can look at resource explorer and things like this, but it can actually be quite difficult to diagram it all up as it were. So if you can generate a template and then you could probably put that into another tool to turn that into a diagram, maybe, um, you know, it might be a good way just to do that just to figure out what's in there yeah there's lots of tools available for for doing kind of inventories and diagrams and things like that but uh yeah i'm not sure there's any uh, one tool to rule them all um that kind of gives the kind of ultimate output um i noticed that you said it's uh limited to ec2 and it's only available in the north virginia region is that because that's where the console is hosted or is it literally you can only do ec2s in north virginia a bit of both i think like yeah. A lot of global services are actually hosted in North Virginia. When you start getting under the covers and start turning things off, you, you can't turn off North Virginia. Well, you can, but you really shouldn't because metrics start not working and billing start mm. misbehaving and all that sort of thing. So you do need to leave that one on. I suspect, though, it's gone into North Virginia because as that's probably where the console lives, and it's the region that gets all the new stuff first when it's not a multi-region release. Yeah. Well, yeah, it certainly sounds cool. Um, but as I say, proceed with caution. Uh, as with a lot of these generative AI tools, don't necessarily just trust the output. It just gives you a starting point to uh, to jump off from. Um, but uh, it is only in preview, so I'd be interested to see how this develops over time uh, as more features and more services are added. Um, so let's skip on to the next article for this week. Uh, and this one is all about ECS, uh, Amazon Elastic Container Service. So the article goes on to describe what ECS is, what it does, and then gives uh, five use cases of how ECS could be relevant um, in various different DevOps scenarios. So, um, Martin, I'll come to you first on this one. Are you, are you a fan of ECS? Um, I'm mixed. I, like, I don't, we don't, as a tool, it is actually really good, and I much prefer to use it, especially with Fargate than I would to try and use Kubernetes. Um, or do something in another way. If I'm going to do containers, <clears throat> um, 
I believe AppRunner uses Fargate under the hood, so AppRunner is typically, a, a, you know, quite easy to get going as well. But I've always found the console and the terminology and stuff really difficult, you know, for beginners. Like it's quite hard to get up and running. Um, it's Kubernetes inspired, and they've used all the same terms. Yeah, uh, with, it's, it's much easier than Kubernetes, but we're going to call it very similar things. It's so what's the difference between a service, a daemon, a task? Uh, you just kind of have to know. Yeah. I mean, once you get over that hurdle, it's it's fine. But my, my first intro to ECS, I think, was probably a game day years ago. And it was like, oh, you've got this thing running ECS. Can you like set up auto-scaling or something like that on it? That was not easy to figure out without having known beforehand how to do it. You'd think it would just be clicking some stuff to turn on auto-scaling, but it wasn't. So I think, yeah, I think it's good as a product. Definitely just has that learning curve to get going. Though. John? What about ECS generally? My, my opinion is a bit well-known. Kubernetes can get in the bin, and if you need to run containers, use ECS, unless you're already running Kubernetes. But that's not why I picked this one out. I picked it out because I have... The use cases are reasonable. They're valid. It's, you know, leveraging ECS for your pipelines. It says, well, it can integrate ECS with code pipeline. Okay, but code build just runs containers anyway, so meh, whatever. I think who cares? Um, scaling microservices. Yep, yeah, brilliant. Like that. Yeah, consistent deployment environments. Good. We like that too. Building environments for fresh deployments and trashing old ones and having the same environment between different um the, the 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 same art between you know dev and staging production kind of all the rest that's great that's brilliant we like that it's a lot easier to do in a containerized environment because that's kind of the point um and it goes about automated scaling and yes you can do that and then centralized logging and yes that's all brilliant too but i don't like the term devops use case like why is why is not I don't like the term DevOps generally, to be honest, but it's sort of something that the industry has latched onto as a, you're a DevOps engineer. Mm, no, but okay. I just didn't like the, the presentation of it. The use cases themselves are great, but they're not DevOps use cases. They're just use cases. It feels like they've, they've gone to some sort of SEO person and gone, oh, ah, here's, here's, a, here's a magnet, here's a, here's a big keyword we can link into and get into people's lists and then get talked about. Which is, of Click. course, exactly what we're doing. Clickbait. <laughs> this article's about DevOps. I must read it because DevOps <laughs> is a buzzword. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the use cases themselves are useful. They're valid. They are. Um, you know, leveraging it for your pipelines. That's that's okay. Fine. You can use it within code pipeline, but you can use code build within code pipeline. So I don't get why you would, personally. You know, unless there's something specific that you need to do in ECS as part of your process, but then you'd be using ECS for your container orchestration anyway. So neither here nor there. The microservice scaling, yeah, great, and it integrates directly with things like RDS and DynamoDB. So it just kind of all everything scales, which is brilliant, and we like that. Um, and I've talked about the others as well to an extent. The consistent logging is a fun one. Because it's not like that's not something that ECS does out of the box. You have to tell it to do that. Um, so I think that's a little bit generous, calling it a use case of ECS that you want um, centralized logging. Because you have to tell the service or task definition that you want to log to CloudWatch or to you know whatever service. Otherwise, it will just dump logs on your machines because that's what Docker does by default. 
So I think that one was a bit generous, but yeah. yeah. It does say by integrating with CloudWatch, so I don't think it's perhaps the title <laughs> is misleading, but uh, mm. yeah. Yeah, because you're not using ECS for centralized logging. You're centralizing your logs from ECS. So it's yeah. like, okay. Okay. Slightly misleading, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, on that note, let's move along to our next article for this week, um, which is um, an article on Security Boulevard about how Datadog, uh, a recent Datadog report has surfaced a pair of sophisticated AWS attacks. Um, so we've been talking about attacks this morning, phishing and the like. Um, so uh, let's talk about this one. Um, what are your thoughts on this one, John? Sophisticated is a bit generous. They're just they don't actually talk about the attack process. They just talk about what they've done once they've gained access to your account. And what do you think they've done? They've mined crypto. It's just that no one does anything interesting anymore. They just see if they can use your money to mine crypto. Cool. Okay. And what do they do? They put them in regions that you're not using. Brilliant. Again, that's not sophisticated. That's not new. Maybe it is new and sophisticated, but we've seen it three or four times now. And it's just, okay, great. Moving on. I think the... The point, I think, is that historically, the people that we've seen doing this sort of thing don't use scripting tools, they don't use IAC. What they've been doing is they've been doing it in the console because they've managed to break into your account in the console and they've kind of done it that way. Now, they've um, there's a thing here saying that within two minutes, they've managed to deploy to 25 tasks to 17 different regions, something like that. Like, okay, so they've actually decided to yeah, ironically, use proper processes when they're mining crypto on your dollar. But fine. Um, yeah, it's again calling it sophisticated. I think is generous. All they're now doing is they're leveraging automation where they kind of weren't before. And it doesn't say how they've broken into the accounts because again, I don't think that anything sophisticated was done there. It's just going to be a leaked credential because that's ninety percent of what it is. What's very important, though, and what this article does do, credit to it, is it says that, in general, cloud infrastructure is more secure than on-premises, which is true. That's fair. Generally speaking, it's more secure because shared responsibility, you don't have to worry about where the data centers are, AWS handle all of that, security of the cloud they handle, security in the cloud you handle, and they give you really good tools to help you with that as well through things like VPCs and, and security groups, and then the tools to detect that you've done something silly, detective, guard duty, Macy, yada, yada, yada. So it's important that it's important to note that just because this is a cloud attack, that's just because there's so much running in the cloud. Now, the attack vector is that much bigger because there's just that much more to go off and hit. But again, calling it a sophisticated pair of attacks is generous, I think. It's ironic that they've got good DevOps. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they used console to code to do it. And actually, the, the accounts they're attacking probably have quite poor processes and therefore, you know, I've leaked their details. It was, I had the same thought when I read it. I was like, oh, I'm looking forward to this sophisticated AWS account you know, attacks. What they're going to tell me about some new kind of, I don't know, day zero sort of thing. No, they're just like right at the end say, yeah, they probably left their details on GitHub or something like that, you know. Um, so I think, um, I think obviously with, with all of the cloud, like everyone seems to, um, 
there seems to be a general worry when people start using the cloud that is in on the internet therefore it's not as secure and all the attacks are always usually come back to it's you're doing it wrong it's not actually <laughs> a problem with the cloud you're you're just doing an i am roots give everyone i am roots and then you sorted you know and then obviously it gets leaked because you don't change your key for four years and it's, I it's, saw one the other day that had been live, had an access key that had been live for 1,700 days. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen a couple like that. And it's like no MFA with an access key that's been there for thousands of days. And you're like, how has it not been attacked? Um, it's quite, I mean, there should, be, there should be a push in general that all accounts should lock down regions. Like you should when you get a brand new account have to activate each region and well you do push. to an extent you do to an extent there's i think 10 regions or so that you have to dis explicitly turn on uh, you know some of the more odd ones stockholm cape town that kind of thing you have to turn them on specifically a lot of the china regions you have to turn on but it would be good i appreciate that things run in north virginia to an extent but it would be good to say i only want these ones please so i want to turn on london and ireland and north virginia and that'll do thank you very much and that's something that we do with our clients but it's it's a bit jury rigged through iam and scps yeah. so you just basically block anything that's not a global um service so there's about 10 or 15 services that you can't block and if you start blocking s3 is one of them if you block s3 within a region you then can't use the global endpoint. You have to use the regional endpoints in the regions you've got it turned on. So you've got to exclude S3 as well, which is like, oh, that's really annoying. But by the by. But that's done a bit hacky through an SCP. It would be really nice to be able to just go off, 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 and just have, like, I want these three. Thanks very much. Yeah. And I think a lot of the cases, like, you should, I mean, they do it with Lambda, don't they, now, where you get really limited access to, to Lambda on new accounts. But even an account's been there for years, the account might never have used ECS and suddenly you're allowed to deploy around the world in two minutes and <laughs> no alarms get set off. Obviously, yes, you can turn on guard duty and they should do, but these are accounts where people probably don't know about guard duty. So. It, yeah, there's a little bit of an unkind line in the last paragraph saying, um, you know, provisioned by app developers with little to no appreciation for cybersecurity best practices. There's a little bit unkind, I think. I wouldn't say it's untrue, but it's certainly an unkind statement. But a lot of AWS accounts, and again, this is what we see from our customer base, is certainly provisioned to begin with by an app dev who's just gone, okay, I kind of know what I'm doing. We'll set it all up. Because, I mean, I'm a cloud engineer. I'm a DevOps ugh, engineer. I've been a platform engineer. I've been an SRE. I've been, you know, a whole bunch. I'm not the first hire in the door unless it's a consultancy for doing exactly that we are not the first people that get hired because our skill set is not the thing that's moving the needle on product. It's not. So these things, by and large, will get set up by someone that kind of knows it, and in truth, they know enough to get themselves in trouble. Yeah, 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 100%. Like every application I've come across on a sort of a new, you know, we've come in to look at, there's IAM sort of access keys directly in the code deployed to Lambda or something like not using Secrets Manager and not doing all the things that you should do because that works. Like it gets you going really quickly. And you can't argue that it's. We'll um, fix all of that later. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. then you just you fix it <laughs> when just, it's a problem. Like, yeah. 
it's the pressure to uh, deliver that MVP. Uh, it's only an MVP. We'll fix all that other stuff later. And then it never gets fixed. Or perhaps things get forgotten about um, that uh, that need to be fixed. Yeah. Well, no one's going to own up to hard-coding credentials into a code base. No one's going to own up to that. So you, you come across it by accident. think, okay, I don't even care who did it. I just need to fix it now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. Perhaps uh, not as sophisticated as the article may have uh, may have made out, um, but yeah, we're uh, a bit clickbaity this week. We are. We're a bit clickbaity. It's DevOps use cases, and which were just kind of generic platform engineering use cases, and it's sophisticated attacks that are not. I guess it's just the automation that's sophisticated, which perhaps is not not that sophisticated to you because you live with it day in, day out. But, uh, you know, certainly more sophisticated than the uh, phishing attempt that I got yesterday via Facebook Marketplace uh, <laughs> attempted to harvest my PayPal credentials. It was incredibly obvious. And uh, Is it more or less sophisticated than my lava lamp that's warm enough that it's just started moving around now? Where's the tomato? <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm getting confused. Uh, anyway, it's quarter to uh, eleven in the morning. You've got problems. <laughs> On that note, let's move along uh, to our next article for this week, which is about uh, changes to the AWS certification program. Um, so uh, there's a number of specialty certs that are being retired, um, and uh, some new certs coming out. So I guess. Uh, always have to mention the gold jacket when we're talking about certs does this make it easier to get the gold jacket now that they've retired because i think there's more being retired than there are being created mm. so uh perhaps uh less less to do now to get the gold jacket are you going for the gold jacket martin i mean technically i have it and i've got all oh, 12 but i didn't yeah. get given the jacket because it's almost impossible to get the jacket yeah there's there's <laughs> two ways of getting the jacket one of them is work for aws and the other is be an ambassador oh, not counting and be an ambassador and go to the ambassadors thing in seattle and just be, know the right person hmm. that's the but only Martin other place they give them out yes, but you've also ambassador. got to go to seattle for the ambassadors well, conference yeah, which is yeah, not at the same time as reinvent i think yeah it's, it's a couple like of days two before. months before so yeah. i was told at reinvent that sorry we can't give it you here you'd have to come to the thing next year i was like well i thought i did this it's like a year ago now i'm, I'm over it um yeah. <laughs> but yeah i mean it's now so there's currently 12 that just the data engineer associate one has just been released so they'd be technically 13 but then the data analytics database and sap being retired means that it's dropping back down to 10. um but there is rumors of two or three more coming in um by the end of the year might be another two so be quick you should get the jacket <laughs> yeah I, th I think what this is showing yeah. really is uh because you care about jackets and things Carl. it's so chintzy it's awful um i think what this is showing though is oh, here we go how much did you pay for the shipping on that that was just offensive we don't talk about that <laughs> <laughs> what this is showing is that AWS are still prescient of, of needs of the market for demonstrating skills and database specialty. Okay. It's kind of neither here nor there. I don't know how you can specialize in databases particularly. Um, I, I knew a guy that was a certified Microsoft SQL master, like one of about 30 in the world or something like that. And he knew his stuff. He absolutely knew what he was going on about, but it was a very niche skill set. 
database specialty i've never looked at it but i imagine it's the same sort of category you know databases inside out and upside down and all the rest of it that's brilliant i don't spend enough time with them to care sap who cares <laughs> who cares and then the data analytics specialty is clearly being replaced by the what are they calling it data engineer associate which i would given that it's a new associate i would expect a pro cert to come at some point in the same area um because <clears throat> the three associate certs you've got at the minute solutions architect has a pro cert and then dev and sysops both roll up under the devops pro cert having you know done that one it's you can see where bits have come from one and bits have come from the other so they there's clearly a path where they roll up under it i would imagine that there will be a data engineer pro cert coming in that vein it feels like it that, I, so i was speaking to uh, reinvent to one of the um the certification people because i've done writing questions for some of the exams before and she was saying like the the, the the specialties they're sort of trying to get away from them a little bit and into more associates and professionals but it seems like the data analytics specialty has been replaced by this new associate and there wasn't they weren't aiming for a new professional but now they're getting rid of the database one as well it feels like that there are mm. rumors of a gen ai one but i asked and they wouldn't tell me um <laughs> so i can't I say saying, whether that's true yeah. or not but somebody's convinced there is i don't know how true it is so all i've been told is that there's probably going to be two or three by the end of the year new ones but like of the two or three they're thinking about you know only one or two might get signed off definitely sap was a waste um a, you know the alexa one was a bit of a waste they're trying to get away from that sort of thing i think um so yeah we'll Keep see it. the data engineer yeah. one wasn't that easy i did the beta the you know the beta exam thing was like more complicated than he expected um so I think it's as an associate, like it's it's actually quite specialised. So maybe we'll get more of that sort of thing, like an associate ML type thing. If I was a gambling man, I'd put my money on a, a Gen AI cert uh, coming out at some point. What with all the, the hype around uh, AI, there's got to be an AI cert. It'll be just bedrock. Like, what else? <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole bunch of other AI tools. That AWS have that work in the same sort of way because there's all the there's transcribed and textract mm -hmm. and all of the recognition stuff which I've used quite a lot and I'm quite a fan of. It's not cheap but it, it's really good for I want to do some image recognition. Okay, there you go, and you pay like two cents per thousand or something. So at scale, it's expensive, but for an MVP, it's, it's brilliant. So yeah, it would be. A, I would expect an AI, a Gen AI type mm. thing to come out because there's a lot of other services and they're not really spoken about on the other associate certs. The ML specialty touches on them, but the ML specialty is a weird one because 50% of that cert is ML and 50% is AWS ML. Um, and ML is boring now. It's all Gen <laughs> AI now. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't use ML in any way. It's, it's... <laughs> rebrand it. That's it. Done. 
Yeah. Well, maybe they'll uh, rehash that cert and we won't see uh, a dedicated Gen AI one. Anyway, conscious of time, let's skip on to the final article for this week. Of course, it was uh, quarterly earnings time last week. So if you do follow the uh, IT press, you won't have missed the uh, plethora of articles about uh, quarterly results for all the big cloud providers. Uh, this particular one was just one from CNBC. Um putting a positive spin uh, on AWS's growth rate, which has increased by a percentage point versus uh, quarter on quarter last year. Um, so the growth has accelerated. There's plenty of other articles putting a negative spin on it, showing how uh, the other cloud providers uh, are actually growing much faster than AWS. But of course, AWS is still uh, far and away the, the market leader in terms of overall spend. So what are your thoughts on uh, on these results, guys? I thought you'd like to look at a big number, Carl. I love looking at big numbers. Yeah, this is, uh, but this this one's uh, thirteen, so it's unlucky for some. Um, but uh, you know, um, I think it's I great to it, see. Uh, yeah, I found so it quite I, interesting that AWS was fourteen percent of Amazon's as a whole's overall revenue, and there was another one where it said it was fifty four percent of their operating income. And yeah. I'm not quite sure of the difference between that, but. It's not EBITDA, is it EBITDA? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. It's, it's, a, it's a profit measure. I don't know exactly what measure of profit it is, but yeah, basically what it's saying is, you, what was it, 12% of revenue and 54% of profit. So, uh, you know, AWS is definitely generating um, the vast majority of the profits for, for Amazon Inc. Yeah, I mean, Amazon runs on AWS. So I'm always surprised when AWS is only such a small percentage of Amazon. Um, well, it's a revenue thing though isn't it yeah, because exactly. in retail again teenager worked in retail the amount of money that's moving through on a five percent margin is just obscene like you look at a, an average supermarket in the uk and they're moving hundreds of thousands of pounds a day on four percent mm. okay yeah i think the the growth's interesting because the others are going to grow quicker because they're smaller <laughs> like percentage wise they yeah They've got a lot to catch up on, but then um, Amazon is going to struggle in that sense, just because the AWS is just because it's so big. It's already um, it's got percentage wise, it's, gonna, it's quite tricky to get bigger. But we wanted quote in there from um, I think it was Adam. Um, I can't remember. It's one of the AWS of um, top dogs, and he was saying about that they are still getting quite a lot of modernization like people moving to the cloud and, and things like that it's not um, it's not just an increase of people using more cloud because they're getting bigger um but it's quite interesting because the, the other especially google still can't quite understand google cloud um <laughs> like it, it seems niche like we've had we've had a customer who had to quickly leave because they got rid of their iot products like how can you trust a cloud product of its closing down products inside it? Like, I'd be quite suspicious of it. Azure makes sense. There's a lot of Microsoft. Apart from all the security holes. Well, it's got more holes than a sieve. Yeah. <laughs> Ironic, we've just been talking about security <laughs> issues. <in Yeah>. the <laughs> yeah, I think the, the Google and Microsoft figures also include Microsoft 365 and workspaces. So yes. I think it's often not a fair comparison because AWS is not active in that market. And, Even uh, though AWS has workspaces, 
but that's not the same because that's an email provision. It's, it's, yeah. It's VDI, VDI rather than, you know, uh, the the sort of uh, productivity suite. So, um, yeah. Um, But yeah, it's definitely not an apples to apples comparison, not, not by a long way. Um, And maybe this is part of Amazon's problem in that they are an infrastructure player. That's, that's what they are. They might have all these other nice tools with, talk about not having to provision infrastructure for serverless and all the rest of it and that's great i like that but it's still they're the plumbing per se yeah yeah but uh as i say great to see that growth uh starting to increase again um and uh, certainly shows that the sector is not stagnating but i'm very conscious of time we have reached the end of our time today for uh season three episode six of logicast so thank you john for your insights and thank you martin uh for agreeing to come on as a guest again great to hear your insights uh great to have you back um so that's all for us from for this week. Uh, don't forget, you can download us wherever you download your podcasts. And if you want to see what we look like when we're talking to you, we're also on YouTube. So uh, that was Season 3, Episode 6 of Logicast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time. <laughs>